Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. You doing well? It's a beautiful day to be in God's house, amen, and to worship Him. Uh, earlier this year, you may or may not know, we launched a church at the Post and 42nd neighborhood that we care about so much. And this morning, we have two folks from our Renewal Church team as our readers for our Hebrews passage. So welcome with me, Al Stadelberger and Jana Stadelberger. Come on up, guys. Thank you, Al. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of the worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God, but when God found fault with the people, he said... The day is coming, says the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good word that we've gotten the chance to hear and that we're going to get the chance to unpack. And Lord, as your people here gathered for worship, we come to you in prayer uh, for our country, for our people, for our society, for so much pain. It's easy to lose track of the heartache. In one week's headlines, as more is heaped on in the next week, Lord, help us not to lose hope. Lord, you hear the cries of so many. The cries, Lord, you must hear, my goodness. Cries of pain and grief, cries of justice, cries for justice, cries for answers, Lord. You hear them all. We choose to trust, Lord, that you do hear every cry. You hear our cry. We add our cries to the all the others, and ask God that you would be with those who are in pain, that you would help us to be part of good solutions, that, Lord, you would heal things that need healing, guide things and people that need guidance. Lord, we just lift all that up to you. There's so much to lift up to you, and it just seems fitting to do so as a gathered people. We add our cries. And now, Lord, we open our hearts. We open our minds to this open word in front of us. So, Lord, we ask, God, that you would do what you do so well, what only you can do. Lord, we ask that you would grow us, that you would speak to us, that you would feed us by this good word that we have in front of us, your good word. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. The other day, Tamara and I were walking into the grocery store, and there was this huge display of fireworks, right? Can't miss it uh, in the days and weeks leading up to uh, Independence Day, and not just some sparklers, but a whole bunch of those huge mega pack of fireworks, right? 
uh, couldn't miss it. And I was immediately taken back to the fact that when I was a kid, man, these bundles were as tall as I was. And I remember for at least a couple of summers planning and dreaming and scheming and strategizing all of May and June to save up the money or to convince my dad to let me have some of what I had fixated on during that spring and summertime. One of these huge packs of fireworks, right? Just looked like so much fun. The most I had really experienced was sparklers up to that point in my life. One July, I succeeded and I saved up enough for at least a medium-sized one of these packs of fireworks. Friends, rarely have I experienced such disappointment. It was a <laughs> terrible moment in my life. My dad was, as he almost always is, absolutely right. Rob, it all goes up in smoke, he told me. Right? He's a practical dude. If he's anything, he's practical. It all goes up in smoke, and he was correct. It never quite matches all the expectations and the hype and the hope that it held in my imagination. So much promise, so little return. Now, Today in our passage, we're going to talk about promise, and we're going to read that God has made a really great, in fact, a better promise than any promise He's made before, and that God makes and keep those, keeps His promises. So much promise, but all the return. If we were to sum up the passage that we just heard and that we're about to unpack, we would sum it up this way. God keeps all His promises by making His best one in Jesus. So let's dive into Hebrews chapter 8. Chapter begins, here is the main point. We've been moving through seven chapters of of Hebrews. We've had a few sermons so far, and now the writer of Hebrews brings us back to the main point. We have a high priest, the author says, who sat down in the place of honor behind, beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. In other words, in these words, he is the highest of all. He's in the highest of all places. He's the highest of all high priests. Last couple of sermons, we've gone more deeply, as the passages did, into what that whole priesthood thing means. If you haven't caught those, you can go back and watch or listen to those. The author says, There he, Jesus, ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So here's the main point, and it's really the theme of our series here. Jesus really is the ultimate, and he is supreme. Nothing and no one is greater, higher, more worthy of our whole lives than Jesus. This is really the resounding theme. If you were to think of this letter as a musical score, this is the, the, the passage of music that the score keeps returning to. This pounding theme of the superiority and the supremacy and the wonderfulness of Jesus. Now, it flourishes at different points with variations, right? Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the former priest. But then it keeps coming back forcefully to this line, pounding it home. And it goes like this, basically. Whatever you think of, when you think of God and how to connect with Him, no one and nothing can touch Jesus. No one and nothing can even come close. 
Now, the author is asking the readers to remember that there was a time in Israel's history when God gave detailed instructions for a place of worship to be built, a tent called the tabernacle. Now, the temple, which they would more easily and readily picture in their minds, uh, was really just a larger and not portable version of that tabernacle. So there was a place on earth, so to speak, in which you would come and a priest would help you worship God, make sacrifices, on and on. And so the new idea here is that those things can be forgotten. They are a uh, copy. They were a shadow of what was to come. And the heavenly reality where Jesus now is, where worship is eternal and where our connection to him never ceases, that real uh, eternal reality, man, that is where it's at now. Jesus has now made that possible. So you can forget about those. Jesus is now at that heavenly place of worship and it's from there, so to speak, that he pours out his promised spirit. Man, there is hardly anything I would think in the New Testament that's more promised. The word promise is so associated with this act of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our lives. This is what the new promise is all about. God now lives in us, changing us from the inside out. And so that is the best promise of all. And so that's what we're going to begin to unpack a new and better promise or a new and better covenant. Verse six, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. But now we read Jesus. I love those words. But now Jesus, something new has happened now. That new is Jesus. I was once lost, but now Jesus. Amen? Anyone ever find that to be true in their life? You feel a little lost? I see that hand. That's right. That's right. I once was lost, but now Jesus. I once was blind, but now Jesus. Thanks to Jesus, I can see. Who is this Jesus? What makes this Jesus so special? He is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant. That he is, no priest now is necessary. This highest of high priests is our mediator, 100% God, 100% human. We've talked about this right in the previous sermons. He now stands as our go-between, our mediator, reaching out from God to us and making it possible for us to have a relationship with our Creator. Why? Because of a far better covenant. What is a covenant? Covenant is a contract, a commitment, a promise, a set of promises. All those would be ways to describe this word covenant. And God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. This makes Him unique among the quote-unquote little g gods of, the, of, the, of ancient Israel's day and even of our own day. Other gods might make demands or even make some recommendations. This God makes promises because that's what love does. Think about it. When we love someone, what are we prone to do? What do we, what do we end up finding ourselves motivated to do out of love? Make pledges, right? Make, I'll be your friend. I'll be there for you. We fall in love with someone. What do we want to do? 
pledge our love to them, get married to them, right? The ultimate human promise. This is what love does. Love wants to make promises. God is love, so it only makes sense that our God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. If the first covenant, verse 7, had been faultless, there would, not have, been, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. What's going on here? We're talking about a first covenant, the covenant of what you might call the law. Throughout the scriptures, that's the shorthand for the way God laid out his relationship with his people in what we would call our Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. So in that era of God interacting with his people, he made a covenant and that covenant would be summed up as the law, his description and prescription of how to live well, how to worship him, how to live life with him, how to get along with each other. This too was a very unique thing about the God of Israel. He was a law-giving God. He, he created a code for society that was way ahead of its time and unparalleled for its time. And that's a whole other subject in a whole other sermon. But uh, this first covenant could be summed up as the law. And not just the law as in do this, don't do that, but his whole prescription of how life works, how worship uh, works, and how society should work. So this first covenant, good as it was, was not the whole story. You might think of the first covenant as engagement. You get engaged to someone, you've pledged to marry them. It's the beginning of uh, something, but it's very much uh, part one, right? No one wants to stay just stuck in engagement, am I right? right? I mean, it, it implies the idea that there's something else coming. And that's very much, a, I think, a, a good way to think about the first covenant and then what we're seeing here described in what happens with the second covenant. It consummates all those intentions in a marriage, the second covenant. The old was a signpost pointing, uh, go this way, but the new gives power to actually take that way. So how was the first covenant not faultless? This is a pretty big deal that the author says it just this way. It was a promise, and it was a promise that God made. So how was it not perfect or faultless? Well, we could think of it like this. It wasn't so much that it was incorrect, but instead it was incomplete. Like we said, it was the engagement, but it wasn't the whole story. It was not finished. It, there was more to come. Again, if we go back to the picture of like a musical score, God's working with humankind. Uh, if that were a musical score, then the law, the first covenant, was like this minor chord held out there so long, holding that, that chord, that note, waiting and aching for the resolution of that. Jesus is the major chord that carries the tune forward. Here's how Paul put it to the Corinthians. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, God has made all kinds of promises, and that's who he is. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, or here's how to live, and I'm going to guide you in this way. There's so many wonderful promises. His mercies are new every morning. You can go throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and see that God is a God who pledges himself, pledges his love to us. But Paul is saying no matter how many promises God has made, man, they are all wrapped up in one big yes, that is Jesus. They all come together in him. And we've only to say, amen. 
That's our place. Where do I sign up? We have a God who's ready and willing and eager to make these promises and pledges of love toward us. We, we just get to say amen. We get to say, yeah, I'd like more of that. I'd like to get in on that. Where do I sign, right? God makes his promises. We get to receive them. Now, what have we read so far? We've read that Jesus' ministry as a high priest is heavenly. We've read that it's far superior. We see that it's based on a better covenant. And as we're about to read, it's new. It is new. But let's be clear. It's new to us, but not to God. God's intentions toward us have remained consistent, and he always knew what he was about to do. His purposes toward us have always been love and reunion, forgiveness and freedom, grace and wisdom, wholeness and holiness. This is his unchanging desire for his people, for people he loves so much. But he's doing a new thing in Jesus, new to us, the next step in his process, his relationship with humanity. Let's bring it back to Jesus. And friends, we should always bring it back to Jesus, right? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9. This is a really great word, couple of word pictures that he provides to illustrate what we're talking about here and what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, brand new cloth on old cloth, right? No one tries to sew a patch on that. It will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. In other words, they don't, they don't go together. They don't fit. Next word picture. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. What's he talking about here? Wineskin, literally the hide, the skin of an animal sewn together, created like, a, like a, a, a container to hold wine. New wine will ferment and expand, so it needs a new wineskin to flex with that. And so new wine, new wineskins. He says, uh, if they do, uh, no, people would never put that into an old wineskin, right? One that's already done its flexing, one that is now dry and brittle and inflexible. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the skin, wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. He's making it plain that what he's doing is a new thing. God coming to earth as a human being and offering the teaching and the sacrifice and the resurrection that he makes uh, possible in our own history, our human history and our own individual histories that he provides that. Man, that's a new thing. It can't fit into or simply be attached to what's come before. The church is the new wineskin, the good news of grace by faith and this indwelling Holy Spirit. Man, that is the new wine. That is the gospel. And it gladdens the heart for sure. And none of this is at all a disrespect or disregard of God or all that's led up to, to that, of course. In fact, God's been talking about this for centuries at this point. Through the prophet Isaiah, he said, Behold, I'm about to do. A new thing. Through Ezekiel, he said, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And now the, uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah, another Old Testament prophet, to keep 
painting this picture. Again, this is new, a new covenant, new to us, but not new to God. He's been talking about it for a good long time. And so back to our passage in Hebrews, it says, but when God found fault with the people, in other words, he looked at this and said, this isn't, this isn't complete. This isn't, and it's not having the desired effect. It's kind of like my fireworks. Everything went up in smoke and I really didn't get what I was hoping for. The law did not produce what was ultimately needed. When God sees this, he then says this, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. What's that new covenant look like? Let's go into that. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. This is the first aspect of this better promise or this better covenant. It's a deeper command. I will now write their laws not on tablets of stone that are now housed in the tabernacle or the temple and that only a select few ever get to see and then it's copied in red and someone else will read it to you in the synagogue. No, I'm talking about taking the intentions of my will, God says, and writing them right onto your own psyche, onto your soul, making them a part of who you are, weaving them into your thinking, not just something external. Think about what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. He uh, really makes this clear. At one point he says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, quoting the law. But I tell you, don't get so angry with a brother or sister that you murder them with your words. He takes it deeper, deeper command. A little bit later he says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at another lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. Again, he takes it deeper. It's not about external compliance. Man, that doesn't mean much of anything. Internal motive is what's real. Who we are, not only what we manage to pull off in our behavior. That's what matters. And it's always been what matters. And Jesus calls us exactly to that kind of deeper command. A law now written with an indwelling of the Holy Spirit written on our hearts, our new hearts, and in our minds, our minds being made new. This is part of this better promise. If sin can be compared to anything, it's like a virus that has corrupted the code of our souls. If you think about it like that, then in what we're reading here today, the law was like a patch. The gospel is a rewrite. A restoration back to the original programming between us and God. And you and I then, as we, uh, as we live our lives in Him, we, our earthly lives, we will spend all of that downloading, so to speak, this new code. Saying yes to Jesus is like clicking install, right? That's what happens in our lives. A command is made deeper. A law is written right onto our hard drive our soul, our heart. It's a deeper command. It's built on relationship. Here's how it goes next. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, this has always been what God is aiming at, this idea of a restored relationship with his people. But again, in a deeper sense than ever before, I'm reminded of what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. And when you do, my father and I will come and make our home with you. There's an intimacy there, right? There's a connection, personal one, that just can't be denied and is unlike 
what was promised before. I mean, it's just that much deeper. Chapter later in John 15, he says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. The idea that you and I can be friends to God is a mind-blowing concept, amen? And yet that's exactly what God wants in us and makes possible in Jesus. So friends, let's be His people on this earth. Those who have a relationship with Him, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Let's be those people. A people not defined by how we vote, but how we pray. Not by how angry we are, but how active we get in serving others and making a difference. A people identified not by law, but by love. His people, making Him our God, the very definition of our lives. A deeper command built on a relationship and based on grace. Check this out as we finish up this portion of the quotes from Jeremiah. And I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins. That this is all based on grace, that God sees this thing that separates us, our own human pride, our own sense that we could do life without Him. The Bible calls that sin. That God sees this thing that separates us and says, I want that removed more than anything, and goes to great lengths to make that possible. That He wants it gone. He wants it gone honestly. He wants it gone completely. And so Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. We'll actually unpack all of that next week as we keep moving through Hebrews. But again, Paul to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting Rob's sins against him. Not counting your sins against you. That is good news. That is a better promise. It's a deeper command for sure, but it's built on relationship and it's based on grace. And it is the best promise, friends, that anyone could ever make. Now, we've talked a lot of theology this morning, you might say, right? This letter to Hebrews is pretty deep. And it may feel far removed from our day to day. It may not, but it may to you. Let me assure you, though, that it's not. Because what each of us believes about God, that's our theology, just another word for it. Even if what we believe about God is next to nothing this morning. Maybe you're with me today here in the room or online, and you're just kind of starting to learn about what this Jesus thing might be like, and you're not sure there even is a God, or certainly how you feel about whether or not God exists or who God might be. None of that changes the fact that what each of us does believe, whatever that might be about God, is the most important thing about us. It'll determine how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we live our lives, how we treat others, how we use our resources, on and on and on. It will be, it is, one way or another, a guiding truth of our life. But I'm here this morning to, to remind you or to tell you this. You can say yes to what we're talking about today. You absolutely can. You don't have to have it all figured out. 
But you can take a step in that direction and begin to say yes to a God who, believe me, is already saying yes to you. You can scan the code on the seat back in front of you, or you can go to outlivechurch.org yes. We would love to get that conversation started. Let's remind ourselves of what God has promised to us this morning. The I wills of this passage. I will, God says, make a new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. I will forgive them. I will never again remember their sins. Friends, God keeps all his promises in Jesus, who is his best promise ever. Let's wrap up by looking at verse 13 here of our passage. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one, ouch, obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. What's, what, what are we seeing here? I think we can see by now as we hear what Jesus has said and as we're getting context for what the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't rely on what's been replaced. His readers needed to hear that the Old Testament law code, so to speak, was not the way to salvation. That a whole door has opened up here, one that we've read about and, and has been promised for centuries. That door is Jesus. Don't rely on what's been replaced. The old trembling in fear of judgment is replaced with hope, faithful hope that is confident in God and His love. Ritual is replaced with relationship. So you can think about it like this. You've been carrying around a cup, a jar. That's your spiritual life. And you keep trying to fill it and not spill it. And he's saying, hey, how about I just fill you up instead? You try to drink from that cup and then you get it filled again. Let me just fill you up. You strive for good behavior. Let me give you a good heart. You're putting so much hope in that mega pack of fireworks, right? But when what you crave is an explosion of power and a celebration of freedom that only I can give. When the fuller form is available, the partial is shelved. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here. Here's how Jesus put it. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the one who has fulfilled them is now worth all our attention, devotion, and allegiance. He is the promise that keeps all the others. God keeps all His promises by making His best one in Jesus. Let's consider that as we grab the bread and the cup here. If you've got one of these as you walked in this morning, I'm going to ask you to take it as we just reflect on the fact that it is in exactly what we're commemorating through the bread and the cup that we come to terms with and and remind ourselves each week of the fact that God has made a new and great promise. In Luke chapter 22, this is the way Jesus is recording, recorded as saying it. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus took bread. This is the night before he goes to the cross. He's with his disciples. He gave thanks and broke it, it says, and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together. And then Luke says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And this is what he said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
That night, Jesus talks about a new promise, sealed in his sacrifice, the blood that he's about to shed, the tomb that he's about to leave, all part of this promise that you and I now get to enjoy. So let's take and celebrate that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of this passage. It's deep. It's, 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 it's a large truth. It, it's a lot to take in. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to boil it down and plant it in us, that you make promises of love, that that's who you are, and that those promises are made to us, not just to the person next to us or down the row, but to us. That you see us in all of our unfaithfulness at times, and all of our wandering or wondering. You see us, Lord, in all of your faithfulness, in all of your steadiness, in all of your constant love. You see us, and you keep making those promises. You keep saying yes to us. Lord, help us to say yes to you once again. We give it all to you our whole lives. All the worries that we brought in here, Lord, we give them to you. All the sins, Lord, that we have committed and all the ways that we've wandered, Lord, we bring them before you, our God of grace and mercy. Lord, we ask that you would take us and receive us once again. Do what you are so good at doing. Make us new. In your name we pray. Amen.